about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. I'm very aware that this episode may be very difficult for some people, particularly those who have been impacted by suicide in any way. The word suicide is a sensitive word and it really conjures up different ideas in everyone's mind. This is a tough subject but one that is very important to talk about. Speaking more openly about suicide is something that we need to get better at. Today on this episode I'm talking to the lovely Imogen Khan. Imogen is the host of her own podcast, Good Morning, a wonderful podcast which normalises the topic of grief and loss. Imogen has lived through the experience of losing her lovely mum Vanessa when she died by suicide. Good morning Imogen, thank you so much for joining us today. First of all, I'm really sorry to hear about your lovely mum and I I just want to thank you so much for being so courageous and willing to share your story with us. So would you like to tell us a little bit about your mum Vanessa? Thanks Fiona, yeah thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and and talk about my mum and my experience. It is a very important topic I think and um, yeah so my mum Vanessa, she was a very unique woman. I think that's the best way to describe her. So she was probably one of the most generous and loving women that I've ever known. And um, she just had this incredibly warm nature about her. And, you know, anyone that she came into contact with kind of felt instantly at ease with her. Um, She was a you know creature of comfort she loved to be in bed by 7 p.m and you know she had a little routine and she loved to read books and go op shopping and yeah she was just pretty amazing woman and mother and (laughs) would you like to tell us a little bit so she passed away seven months ago seven or eight months ago was it just been about eight months so it was the 22nd of february this year yeah and so all of your lives changed instantly in that moment yeah it was yeah completely out of the blue for us and yeah couldn't it just yeah wouldn't have imagined this ever happening to our family and I think that is sort of why it is important to have these conversations because until you become you know part of the statistics you don't think that it will ever happen to you or anyone you know yeah and uh, you know some of the statistics I've read Imogen like our rates of suicide in Australia are incredibly high and and shocking I I know there are certain categories of our society that are more susceptible to suicide than others I I don't know but some of the stats that I've read suggest that men are three times more likely to die by suicide than women and that there are eight Australians in our country every single day 
die by suicide. So they're pretty shocking. And when you look at those stats, it's important to also remember that there's a family behind those statistics. But yet somehow this subject is still taboo in our society. We make wrong assumptions about suicide, but one of them is that that someone suffered from mental illness and and that's not the case about your mum. No, it wasn't, which again, is important to raise the awareness around this um, as this has taught me that suicide can happen to literally anybody. So my mum was the last person I know that could have I could have ever imagined taking her life and, um, yeah, as all of her friends, just completely blindsided by it. And at the time of my mum's death, um, she was going through, you know, sort of extraordinarily stressful circumstances is, is how I'll put it, which I can't really go into the details for legal reasons. But, you know, she, she didn't have a long-standing mental illness. And I think I even used to assume that people only took their lives if they had a mental illness. And it's, you know, it's not something that ever crossed my mind that could ever happen to, to my mum. And um, I've done a lot of research since. And I think my mum may have been suffering from what's called situational depression. So it's quite different to the clinical depression. Um, so it's kind of due to the changes in circumstances. And there was really only about an eight week period where I was worried about my mum. So I had you know, noticed that she she wasn't herself and um, she was withdrawing a bit from her usual activities. But yeah, I just could never have imagined that suicide was an option for her. And so I think it's important to to talk about this. And, you know, even that, even on that alone, suicide doesn't discriminate and it can happen to anyone if their circumstances change, if they lose some hope for the future. Um, so I think the more that we learn about it, the better and the more chances that, you know, we may have it at stopping this from happening to anyone else and, and destroying any other family. Yeah. And one of the things, Imogen, that I think that we all can learn about suicide is being mindful of the language that we use and how that can be quite stigmatizing. We may not be aware that the language that we're using can be judgmental or it can be condemning about what has happened. Have you any advice around that? Yeah, this is something that I learned quite early on after mum died um, because I, I joined a, a forum for suicide loss survivors and I spent many hours reading other people's experiences with this type of loss and I came to, to learn quite quickly that, yeah, the language that we do use around this type of loss we have to be careful with because I think commit that people say committing suicide is quite a common term to use. but it's crazy because it used to be a criminal offence to take your own life. And and it wasn't even that long ago in Australia. I was, think it was just taken out of the Crimes Act in Victoria in 1950, like late 1950s, which is just mental to think about. Like, And so what used to happen was, you know, people that took their own life, they could have been refused a funeral or had their belongings confiscated and just leaving the family just yeah it would just be horrific to even think about being in that situation but people are still using that term committed suicide so it implies that their loved one has committed an offense so I think it is really important that we do talk about the language around this type of loss and and try and use some more softer terms like died by suicide or from suicide as it can be quite triggering for for the family 
Yeah, I I grew up in Ireland, Imogen, and I know it's a deeply religious country. And for many years, there was the idea that someone who died by suicide couldn't be buried in consecrated ground, which is just unbelievable. That's horrific. Yeah. yeah. And it probably wasn't even that long ago as well in Ireland, was it? You know? That's right. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. And that word committed suicide has stayed in our society and we need to to work hard to try and remind people that it was it isn't a crime. Yeah, and I've been I was saying it myself when it first happened. I said my mum committed suicide and you know, just thinking back now, I'm like she didn't commit anything, you know, she 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 died. And I think it's it's important to kind of treat it the same as any other death. Yeah. And so Imogen, many of us, when someone dies, we're often afraid of saying the wrong thing. And therefore, we don't say anything at all. But particularly around learning that someone's loved one has died by suicide. Did you find that this is the case? Like, did people avoid talking to you? And and are there ways that we can support people better after they've been bereaved by suicide? Yeah, I did kind of notice I feel like people can get quite uncomfortable when you say that your loved ones died from suicide and they don't really know what to say it's kind of like it's so it's such a shocking death and and I think oftentimes a violent one that people just just can't can't relate to you don't know what to say so they just don't say anything in fear of saying the wrong thing um, which can leave you know the person feeling quite isolated and just add to the stigmatization of of this type of loss so you know i understand kind of the complexity around this type of grief it is quite different and in a lot of ways you know needs to be treated differently to sort of a more natural grief but i think it is important to try and treat treat it as you would any other death if you're supporting somebody so don't put it into a different category and yeah it can just make people that have lost a loved one this way feel incredibly isolated and I think sometimes even a bit shameful of the way that their loved one died yeah and we have to be careful not to be judgmental about making any judgments about how they died as well yeah yeah and with that Imogen is there anything that perhaps we shouldn't talk about when supporting someone who has lost someone by suicide um I think it goes for sort of any any type of loss but I think it's really difficult and unhelpful to hear things like they're in a better place now or it was probably for the best but I think you know it's sometimes hard to know as something that may be triggering for someone else someone else may find comforting as well so it is a really tricky one Um, but I think it's really important if you are supporting someone through this type of loss to just try and hold the space for them and you know try and let them say or feel whatever it is that they need to and try not to take anything personally which is it's difficult to do but it's so crucial I think in helping them process what's happened because it is so shocking and and I guess quite unnatural that it's just yeah it's it's a it's a really tricky one to support someone through but I think just just being there for them and letting them feel whatever they're feeling and yeah should we avoid asking questions about what happened? Like, do we really need to know that? Does that take you back to that time and moment? Like, should we avoid asking? I think it, yeah, I think probably avoid asking, but just make make sure that the person knows that you're there in case they do want to 
open up and discuss it and just say, I'm here if you want to, you know, talk about the details or get anything off your chest or just go through what happened um, rather than asking, oh, can you tell me what happened? Um, because some people might not want to keep revisiting that. Um, for me personally, my mind was stuck on such a loop, um, especially the first six months where I was going over all the details nonstop. And so I did find it quite useful being able to workshop what was going on in my mind with somebody. So I needed to, to keep talking about it. And oftentimes I'd you know, have to repeat the same conversation over and over. And I don't know whether that's just the way my mind works or whether that's a common experience with with suicide loss but yeah just like I had somebody at the at our wake ask you know did your mum leave a note I'm like what does that matter right now you know so I think just just things like that where I guess if you feel like you're sticky beaking and wanting to to know you know that information for your own kind of interest and avoid asking it yeah, there's some things we don't need to know. As humans, we're naturally curious, but be mindful of how that might impact the person that you're asking the question to. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, Imogen, about isolating experience. It can be losing someone to suicide. It's, I imagine, a much more complicated experience with many added and complex layers. And I imagine there's a lot of unanswered questions that you probably spend the rest of your life thinking about, but never get the answers to. Absolutely. It's very multi-layered and, you know, I've done a lot of research on this type of grief since I lost my mum just to try and help me, you know, get through it. And I feel like the more information that I have, um, the more hopeful I am that I, that I will kind of get through this type of loss. But yeah, the process, I think it can be quite prolonged due to the complexity of it. And I think, you know, you have a lot of anger and guilt is a huge component um, which can can be all consuming and and I think incredibly dangerous if you don't get on top of it as it can send you into a downward spiral yourself so I was sort of like blaming myself for a long time uh, you know for my mum's death which I think is a common common experience for people who have lost a loved one to suicide and you go through of all all of the I should have done this I could have done that if only I'd have said this you know they'd still be here and you know you try and rationalize it in your mind and you know you just I guess it's a lot of bargaining you know that stage of grief where you're doing the bargaining so like oh if I'd have said this mum would still be alive and if I'd called her five minutes earlier she'd still be here so there's a lot of that which can make the grief quite complex and you know it's something that I still struggle with even eight months down the track, I still feel guilty and I'm getting a bit better at at managing it. Um, But, you know, I think it's going to be an ongoing practice and uh, a lot of therapy to try and keep reminding myself that, you know, there's nothing that I could have done. And, and yeah, I did the best with what I knew in, in that situation. But um, I think what happens is, yeah, because there are so many unanswered questions, you go, on a search for answers so um oftentimes they don't leave a note so in my mum's case she didn't leave a note so it left me with nothing from her so I didn't have any answers I didn't have any goodbye I didn't have any sort of resolve or closure so I kind of had to conduct my own investigation into what happened and 
I think it's quite a common thing to do and it is something that can delay the natural grieving process. So I call it a, a psychological autopsy. <laughs> I've read that somewhere, but I'm like, it's exactly what happens. So you have to kind of come up with your own narrative as to what happened, you know, leading leading up to it or on the day and, and what happened, you know, what led your loved one to make that choice. And in my case with my mum, you know, as I was conducting this investigation, new information kept surfacing and I'd have to start the whole process again. So it's just so exhausting and mentally draining. And I, I don't even know if I've started to grieve properly, but you kind of have to keep going back to square one. And I think if that's left untreated and if you're not getting help with this type of loss that can evolve into what's called complicated grief um, which is a more sort of long-lasting and severe form of grief which can stop the person from sort of being able to recover or heal properly and you know resuming their normal life which is something I've got yeah you've got to be really careful of. Yeah and what's some of the ways Imogen that you can find ways to cope with your grief after an experience like this? I found um, journaling really useful so I'd um, have a journal for my anger and a journal for just things that I wanted to say to my mum that I didn't get to say. So the anger journal got a real workout <laughs> early on. It's just, yeah, just, just so much anger that you've got to try and disperse. Otherwise it eats you up. And I used to go and get in the car and just drive around the streets and blare music really loudly and scream. Like that was my way of trying to, trying to let all this emotion out and, it helped in the moment, but you just, you get so exhausted afterwards. I was doing a bit of boxing. I bought a boxing bag for home so I could just punch it all out. Um, I think I found acupuncture really helpful as well. So I'd feel like I'd get all the energy kind of stuck in my chest. Um, and I feel like I had such a heavy weight on my chest, like I couldn't breathe properly. So I felt like acupuncture helped with kind of moving all of that stuck energy in my body. I was also getting kinesiology quite regularly, which is a lot of sort of work based around like doing affirmations and kind of releasing like negative thought patterns and things. Um, I was also, yeah, going to counselling. I had a psychologist. It's very expensive dealing with this type of loss, I'll tell you now. I've had to kind of pull back on on some of these options but I think in the beginning I definitely needed all of them but yeah it can it can get quite quite costly which is which yeah. is not good but yeah all of those things help me a little bit but it is important to know that nothing helps a lot in the early stages like these things can only kind of help you a little bit but yeah it's just just trying to hold on to hope and and I did also find um there's a suicide loss survivors forum called the alliance of hope which i joined and they that's amazing like it has loads of different conversations from other people who have survived this type of loss and different categories so if you've lost a parent or if you've lost a child or um, a spouse to suicide you can kind of read everyone's experiences and it helps you feel less alone and it helps you feel understood and and because you, you do kind of feel like you're going crazy a bit. Like I felt I was losing my mind and I'm like, I'm the only person in the world going through this and feeling this. But unfortunately, you know, I think most families nowadays are 
you know, affected by suicide in, in some way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's important to kind of know that you're not, not the only one going through this and, and other people have gotten through it and come out the other side. And, and that gave me a lot of hope, I think, knowing that other people had survived. Yeah. And the other thing is good to remember that it's not weak to ask for help, that we often need support at various stages through our lives. And, and something like this is huge. So seeking the right help and getting support is very important. Yeah. And it is hard to do. Um, I went to the GP straight away. I've always kind of, I've always had anxiety. So I've been kind of had to be on top of my mental health anyway. So when this happened, I kind of knew straight away that I needed to to speak to somebody and and get help because my mind can go to all sorts of places anyway that it was having a field day with this so yeah I went to my GP straight away and and basically yeah told her I needed help but it was so strange saying it out loud you know I just you know saying the words like my mum's suicided like it just didn't feel real it didn't feel like it it was yeah it was just such a bizarre time and I think it is it's hard to come to terms with with what's happened because it is so unnatural I think you know suicide goes against you know the natural instinct to survive and trying to come to terms with somebody that you love doing that is just yeah it's, it's a it's a long process and a really difficult one so it is it is hard to ask for help but it is so important to do that because if you stay stuck in your head it's really hard to hard to kind of process and, and heal. And so Imogen, I know for a lot of the families that I deal with, the funeral can be an incredibly confusing time. You know, many people want to celebrate someone's life and they want to focus on the way they lived and not the way they died. Yet for some people, they don't feel like celebrating, particularly if it's just a short time after someone has died. And I know a lot of families that I deal with find planning a funeral difficult because of the different expectations that different people have. And there's also those conflicting feelings about whether you actually mention what has happened. Some family members are, are more ready to acknowledge it than others. And some choose not to mention it because of upsetting other people or because of the stigma attached. But do you think it's important that, you know, as a community, or do you think it's more beneficial to the community to name it and to acknowledge it and be upfront so that conversations can happen more openly and honestly, or can that help to break down the stigma? That's an interesting one. I think probably like on an, it has to be like on an individual kind of basis with that. I mean, I know with my mum's funeral, we didn't acknowledge it. Um, I think because it was so out of the blue and completely out of character for her, it just didn't feel right at the time to acknowledge it at the funeral. And I, I don't think we were ready to accept that that is what had happened. And I think we were still trying to to figure out if that was what had happened as well, because we just were so blindsided by it. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I think I think if someone has had a mental illness for a long time and they have suffered with depression and and they have been suicidal before, or, or you know, I think some families kind of have that expectation that perhaps it will it will end up happening one day. And I think maybe in those cases, acknowledging at the funeral feels quite natural, perhaps. But yeah, I don't know. I I was. <laughs> Uh, there was, it was just such a shock and I think 
there was a point where after it happened, I said to my stepdad, like, I don't even want to go to the funeral, which thinking back now, it's so awful to even say, but I just felt like I was so, it was just a nightmare to even think about that's what was happening. And I was completely useless when it came to planning anything to do with the funeral. Um, my sister was amazing. She she kind of went on went into autopilot, which I think is the common response that people have after someone's died whereas I had the opposite I was just like a mess on the floor I couldn't function so my sister planned the entire funeral and I kind of gave zero input which I feel really bad about now but I just I just couldn't do it um but I did write a eulogy for my mum which I'm so grateful that I did do but it was so it was so hard and like like I don't even know how I got up and and delivered it I was just an absolute mess crying the whole way through but um yeah I think it just depends on on the circumstances and the individual and I think everyone you know with my mum was just in such shock that acknowledging it kind of felt like it was making it a reality and I don't think any of us were prepared for that to be our reality at the time of the funeral because it is such a a rush into it and it was only last weekend, so it's been about eight months for us. And last weekend, we kind of all got together with my mum's closest friends and um, our family, and we went to my mum's friend's property and we did a memorial for her. Mm. So we planted a tree and kind of all got together and, and had a really lovely lunch and shared stories. But it really felt like, for me, that was her funeral because at the time of her funeral I hadn't processed anything so I wasn't present and I wasn't prepared and I was kind of just really disassociated from what was happening um that it was just yeah it was not not real at all so you know last weekend weirdly felt like my mum's funeral which is eight months on and I I yeah I often think that for families in, in a similar situation, Imogen, that it's almost like you wish they could have two funerals, one mm. close to the death where you've got that outpouring of grief and fa- and community support. And then when you're ready a little bit down the line, you know, being able to authentically honour someone's life and, and celebrate it the way that you want to. But it's very hard very close to the funeral when yeah when you're not in the right headspace for that yeah it's really hard and I do agree I think there should be two two types of funerals for this type of loss because yeah you you can't be present and honor their life when you're reeling and just completely like just yeah shocked by what's happened and I know like in my mum's funeral we had a really beautiful um sort of photo collage like a video happening and um my stepdad who was sitting next to me like he couldn't even look up to look at the photos of her it was just so raw and can't sorry I'm gonna cry um just so just just didn't feel like we should be there you know it just was such an untimely death and her life was just cut off um before it should have been but it wasn't an honor of her life you know we weren't um, didn't feel like we were honouring her in the way that she deserved um, because we just we weren't prepared um, in any way. So I think it is 
yeah, that is some advice that I would give is maybe, you know, months down the track when you have had time to process um, this type of loss is to hold another, another funeral. <laughs> yeah. And um, we planted a tree for my mum. So we planted um, a flame tree, which was just so her, cause she was just so bright and <laughs> vivacious that, you know, her bright red tree was the only thing that we could see that would um, do her justice. And, we kind of all congregated and, and walked up the hill to this um, opening on the property where we were planting the tree. And so my mum is, her name means butterfly. So Vanessa means butterfly. And we all like just know her as a butterfly now. Like I know people have kind of spiritual connections to, to people who they've lost, but whenever I see butterflies, I always feel really connected to my mum and um my mum's best friend got us all clip on butterflies. So we were all wearing butterflies and had butterflies in our hair. And we um, decorated the wire that went around the tree with lots of butterflies and like crystals and really pretty things um, that was so like my mum. And we had this moment where we came up the hill with the tree and then came to the opening where we were planting the tree and the whole field uh, was just filled with hundreds of butterflies. Oh. They were just flying around our head and like it was it was crazy and I just had this moment, like an overwhelming moment where I'm like, I feel like she's here. Like if there's a sign, it's going to be a butterfly <laughs> and there's like hundreds of butterflies just flying around and we all just looked at each other and went, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, it was just really crazy and um, really beautiful and really sad at the same time. And I think that for me, we didn't we didn't bury um, my mum. She was cremated. So when when she went off in the hearse and they drove away with a coffin, like that was kind of it. We just that was it. We didn't have any closure. And so I felt like planting the tree felt like a burial in a sense for us. And it was just it was really beautiful and necessary um but yeah I think it's important to kind of maybe as time progresses and you have had time to process what's happened is to to do another sort of memorial because I think it's helped me kind of move into a different um part of my grief I wouldn't say it's acceptance yet at all but kind of just maybe sometimes I feel a bit of acceptance like knowing now there's a bit of closure yeah, that would be my, my advice. Yeah, it can be healing, you know, those little signals and symbols. I often chat to families who find comfort in these little signs. We don't know why they happen or how they happen, but somehow there's little pieces of a suggestion that bring comfort to a lot of people and they just can't be expected. Yeah, I think you need, like, you need it. You need something to kind of give you comfort because you can feel like that's it they're gone they're dead and they're not in your life anymore but I think it's so important to try and you know remember that they are still a part of you and kind of everything in the world's connected and their their energy is still here and and you know those little signs do help remind you of that um I've had like only one other moment where I'm like oh my god mom I know you're there <laughs> um, so I was like 
there's a song for my mum that is the song that I, when I hear, I feel most connected to her. So she was a huge Joni Mitchell fan. And um, when I hear the song River by Joni Mitchell, like it just, I just, yeah, I feel like she's she's there with me. And um, there was one night where I was having like a really like ugly cry on the couch. And it was just, you know, the grief was getting too much. And I was kind of like deep in this breakdown and I was, had something playing on Netflix. I think it was the new um, show on Outer Space on Netflix. And the episode was ending. And in the final, like in the episode ending, they started playing Joni Mitchell River mm-hmm. flying around in the bloody spaceship. <laughs> I'm like, that's not, they would not play that song in a spaceship. I'm like, I know that is my mom right now kind of coming to give me a hug. She's like, I'm here. You know, just just chill out. I'm here. <laughs> so it's just this. That was another moment. Where I'm like, oh my god, it's just too. You know, why are you too coincidental? Or she's actually here somehow, trying to give me a message. So I do really. I'm open to to trying to to feel her around. I think it is it is important. Yeah, and there's just some things we just can't explain. Like, just yeah, seems really bizarre. <laughs> Uh, Imogen, I really, really want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I know it takes so much courage to share such a personal experience so openly. And I know that we will all have learned something from today's episode, which will hopefully help destigmatize suicide in society. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And before we finish, are you a tea or a coffee or neither drinker? So funny you ask that. I think I'm the only person in the world that doesn't drink either tea or coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. People find it so strange, but um, coffee like makes me anxious and gives me heart palpitations. And then I think I just always forget to drink tea. Like I've made a tea and I've not touched it. <laughs> Yeah, but you are Irish, so I think Irish love their tea, don't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's no problem can't be fixed over a cup of tea. Yeah, maybe I need to get into it more so it can fix all of my problems. Maybe that's what maybe that's what the problem is. I don't drink enough tea, but yeah. But thank you for having me on, Fiona. It's been it's been a pleasure, and thank you for doing what you're doing. And I think it's yeah, it's great that the more conversations that we can have about about this type of loss the better and and help to kind of destigmatize it and help other families going through it because yeah we're unfortunately not alone and it is very common and yeah podcasts like yours are very helpful so thank you and thanks for inviting me on no thank you thank you so much Imogen To quote the words from David Kessler's book, Finding Meaning, all life has meaning no matter how it comes to an end. This episode may raise issues for you and if this is the case, we encourage you to get in contact with some of the services available to help, including Suicide Callback Service, Beyond Blue, Lifeline and the Black Dog Institute. <music>